Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to Training with Casey. I'm your host, Casey Cover, and we have the pleasure of having Joseph Laughlin with us here tonight. Hello, how are you guys doing? Good to see you here, Joseph. How is life with animals, human and otherwise? Amazing. It's uh, going really good. I'm glad to be here and I'm excited to hear any stories that you have to share tonight. Ooh, yeah, because tonight is a story night. I was hoping that you might have some capybara stories or something. I wonder if I should get my blanket for this. (laughs) because you think it's going to be scary well no because because i think this would be a good bedtime story for next time i'm listening to the podcast well you know when we were doing the other podcast on snakes are people too i talked about various snake experiences and i remembered another snake story and I especially remembered it recently because somebody found a snake in our neighborhood and they posted a picture of the snake and everybody's like, is this a venomous snake? Yeah, everyone keeps finding snakes out here in my neighborhood or like in their surrounding neighborhoods and they keep asking that same exact question. Can you (laughs) tell easily if the snake is venomous? Do you find it easy to tell? Not just by looking at pictures. It's kind of hard for me to actually tell. Especially since I'm not a huge reptile person. Yeah. So I'll tell you what. If you if you go down to a zoo and just look at five snakes that are venomous. And then go see five snakes that are not venomous. In general, in America, it's going to be very easy to tell the difference, with one exception. And the one exception is the coral snake. Because all of our other poisonous snakes in the U.S., I believe, are pit vipers. And uh, (laughs) you can tell by the pupil shape whether or not the snake is venomous. So let me tell you my story, how I, how I learned all this, right? Like I'm not a snake person. So how did I learn all these details? There's another thing. Uh, and I don't even remember which way it goes, but the scoots behind the vent, if they're split, it's one kind of snake. And if they're continuous, it's a different kind of snake. Now I don't remember which is which because If I don't know if it's a venomous snake, I'm not going to pick up his tail and try to get personal with him, right? Right. Hi, snake. How can I help you today? So when I was- Never mind, you're venomous. I'm going to put you over here in the trash. Yeah, right. And I don't even have things like people that love snakes. They keep a snake hook around all the time and probably a snake back. And- I don't even own those things. I'm not going to pick up 
any snakes. Not yeah, no, I, no, thank you. I I love I, them. I was watching your I was watching that video that you uh that you shared on the podcast last time about how snakes are people too, and you were <laughs> really frightened. I w I wasn't frightened. Or well, the snake looked frightened at least, and you're like, yeah, the okay, snake. let's come on, let's get in here. Come yeah, on. Yeah, I'm trying to reassure the snake because the snake was. I mean, why wouldn't he be terrified? He can't he can't move away because of that thing on his neck. I felt so and, bad for that. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. And I knew that was a rat snake, so I wasn't one bit worried. But I was worried for him. I wasn't worried about him, but I was worried for him. Yeah. Or her. Sense. I'm not sure which it was. So And then Dave thought it was a venomous snake. You're like, no, it's not. Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> Dave's so funny. Like, he didn't say, don't touch that. It's a venomous snake. He's like, well, I'm glad that turned out okay. I thought it was a venomous snake. <laughs> well, anyway, Sorry, Dave, to shout you out in the podcast. Really? So um, here's my story. This is, again, back from the days when I was at the National Zoo. And the pre-story is... We had a single bathroom stall in the kitchen. It was open on the bottom, just like if you went into a large bathroom where there's a row of stalls. It was open on the top and the bottom. It had solid walls on the side, but it wasn't totally solid. So one day I was at the zoo. I went into the restroom, as you do. Before I did anything definitive, I somehow levitated straight up in the air and landed on the toilet seat. And there, I don't know how I got past it in the first place on the way in, but there coiled between me and the door is a little snake that's this beautiful shades of kind of reddish, goldish beige with these bands. And it was very aggressive. It was all coiled up and it was hissing and lunging towards me. And at this point in my career, I didn't know how far can a snake lunge? Like if I try to walk past it. And I, I can just have... imagine you. Yeah, I'm, I'm very analytical, right? I'm like, well, uh, I don't have anything in here. I can't even take the toilet paper roll off. And how fast can a snake come after me? Is a snake going to come after me? So we had lots of volunteer um, docents and keepers there. And I yelled out to a great guy. I haven't talked to him in 30 years, Rich Tinney. And he did a great job for us, but he had been an actual forest ranger. So I'm in the bathroom, standing on the toilet, yelling at the top of my lungs, <laughs> Rich, Rich, come in here now. Oh, my goodness. I can just imagine. <laughs> he took a little longer than I expected, and he was very, very hesitant. I guess he had a hard time imagining what kind of help I would need from him in the bathroom. 
Well, there goes that night in shining armor. <laughs> so I could reach over and open the stall door. And so I open the stall door and he looks at the floor and he looks at the toilet seat and he looks at me. He goes, what the heck? And I point down on the ground and we see this little snake. And I go, Rich, do you know what kind of snake it is? Because after all, he's a professional forest ranger. And he's like, I have no earthly idea. Well, let me just <laughs> tell you that when they're babies, their coloring is considerably different. Really? And yeah. A copperhead has a specific kind of band. And this little snake had a very similar band to a copperhead, very similar colors, but bright, bright yellow on its tail. And so Rich and I had a quick meeting, like, what should we do? What could we do? And he goes, well, I think if you want to get out of there, you can hold on to my hands and I'll help you jump off the toilet seat over the snake. And then, you know, cause I'm the one that knows all the numbers, right? To call. <laughs> and then we can call the experts. I'm like, okay, that's great. And then it's like, um, yeah, so rich. Like if you drop me on top of the snake, like there will be repercussions. <laughs> I can just imagine that. Rich was a great guy and he was, you know, He's very like, no, no, it'll be fine. And so he grabs my hands and we do a big swing and he gets me over the snake. Phew. So <laughs> immediately I call Mike Davenport, who was the keeper leader for herpetology department. He was at home. They sent me to him at home. And he asked me all the questions. The first one he asked me is, what shape are the pupils of the eyes? What shape? Like, what do you want me to do? Take my magnifying glass, take my telescope, take my binoculars and try to look at the eyeballs of this. Yeah, snake? I want you to look at the eyeballs of the snake and tell me what shape it is. So he just kind of like had that, ah, like, you know, you don't get real professionals to work with. And he goes, well, does it have divided scoots behind the vent? I have no freaking idea. How does it look? So I told him about these beautiful reddish beige bands that were, it turns out, I found out later, typical of the copperhead and the yellow. And he goes, oh, my oh my, there hasn't been one of those seen in the Washington, D.C. area for 30 years, Casey. I don't know, but it's possible that you have a baby copperhead there. I'll come right in. And I said, well, what should we do? And he goes, don't move and watch the snake. And he hangs up the phone. And Rich Tinney and I are like, what? What? And I said, Rich, what if the snake moves? Like, I'm okay with not moving unless the snake moves. Then what do we do? And Rich is like, don't they cover that in, uh, you know, like zookeeping 101 or something? It's like, 
Well, I missed the lecture. So we're both snaring. We're staring at this snake and watching it, waiting for Mike Davenport to get there. That's okay. I missed a lecture about what to do if I see a snake, too. Yeah. So, (laughs) so, um, well, I'll tell you what, it'd be good to have uh, something like one of those little grabbers, at least. Like, you're not going to be able to grab a snake very well with those, I think. Let's put it this way. An expert could grab a snake with one of those. An expert grabs them with a snake hook, which is very simple. It doesn't hold on to a snake at all. Right. But I'm not an expert. Trust me, I'm not an expert, but I know who to call. <laughs> so Rich, Tinny, and I are there at the door going out of the kitchen because we don't want the snake to leave. We don't want to have an argument with the snake, but we don't want Mike Davenport to get all the way in from home and have no snake to look at. I can just imagine. And I I said to Rich, whoa, what do you think, Rich? He goes, I think it looks like a snake. Did you see it move? Yeah, it moved a little bit. Do you think it's trying to come towards? No, I think we're okay. Do you think we should get something like, what would we do in case of an emergency? And he's like, well, I don't think we're going to have an emergency. Rich, do you have your snake boots on like you wore as a ranger? No, I don't have my snake boots on. I go, well, I have my rubber boots on. That will probably, I'll go forward if the snake, if somebody has to actually wrestle with the snake, I'll wrestle with the snake. Do you think the snake has moved? I don't know. I think nope. it's a little closer to the door. And so it went. It was seemed like about two hours for Mike to get there. And he reported that it only took him 15 or 20 minutes. <laughs> you, you were so, probably like, okay, it's been two hours for you being Yeah, yeah. Let me let me let just let these guys suffer for a while. So he goes up there and he looks and he looks all surprised and excited and he hunkers down and he puts his arms up, you know, like the elbows are up and his head is down like he's going to go in and swoop that snake. And that's exactly what he did. Reach in and grab that snake. And he picks it up and looks at the, you know, at the whole snake hanging down out of his hands. And he goes, Neurotocipidins. A baby water snake. They only have this coloring when they're young. La, 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 la. Mike, did you know the whole time that that wasn't a copperhead? Pretty certain it wasn't. Why didn't you just tell me? Because if I'd been wrong, it could have been a catastrophe. And not only that, I love the idea of you guys sitting here for 20 minutes until I got here. (laughs) Thanks. I can just imagine that. Thanks for coming in, Mike. Thanks for coming in. So he went away with the snake. Everything was good. Yeah, where I volunteer, um, both at Safari Park and um, and the other place I volunteer at, uh, I'm given protocols that if I see a snake to call someone and let them deal with it, so that yeah. way I don't have to deal with it. Yeah. I'm like, no, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, Joseph, I would learn how to deal with it anyway, because you can't always wait for somebody else. 
Like there are certain things you can do. And if you, if you get experience doing this stuff, it's just different. Like in the video from the last podcast, snakes are people too. Did you notice that the snake never tried to bite me or anything? Yeah, he just seemed like really scared and you were trying to explain to him what you were going to do. And you I know, like I'm a nutcase, right? And you were explaining to him, hey, you see this? Don't go near them again. <laughs> but he really seemed to look, didn't he? Yeah. He, he really watched. And he watched when I took it away, which I didn't really realize until I watched the video afterwards. So, but the thing is, is he did not try to bite me. I have watched videos of youngsters in Vietnam because in Vietnam, a lot of the families had family cobras and they wanted to have a cobra that lived in their storage room so that it kept, you know, rats and mice out of their rice stores and all that. And the cobra would hang out and the little kids would go out and move the cobra around. They would go and grab the cobra by the tail and pull it over to a new section. I have no idea why, if they were just playing with the cobra or whatever, but the cobra not only can they bite somebody, but if they just spit venom, it can blind the person. Yeah, no, thank you. I would not, you would not see me doing that. They didn't do this. And this were little tiny children, like three to five-year-old kids. So oh that made an impression on me. And a snake can decide to have a dry bite. Right. So a venomous snake can bite you. And not inject any venom. Did you know that? I think I did. But if not, I did not know that. So here's another weird thing. Did you know that there are venomous lizards? There are. Yeah. I mean, I knew about two when I was a kid. And I forget the names of the second one. But one was the Gila monster. And then there was another lizard that looked kind of similar. They're probably in related families. They're in like Arizona, New Mexico, Texas area. And then bearded dragons. Every Lots of little kids have bearded dragons. They're I was about actually, to say, lots of little kids have bearded dragons. Yeah, and I could not find any record of a bearded dragon fighting anybody but nonetheless they are venomous komodo dragons are venomous i was about to say komodo dragons are venomous yeah and they couldn't tell for a long time because they'll bite somebody and it'll take two or three weeks for the animal to die and it's like you know the komodos bite them put it on their calendar and the animal just gradually gets sicker. So the biologist didn't know if the Komodo dragon was venomous or just had a really dirty mouth and had some kind of bacteria that was harming these animals. 
And they finally determined, yes, they are venomous. Now, do you think, this is a trick question, do you think or can you think of a venomous mammal? Venomous mammal? Yeah. The one that I'm thinking of is a platypus. Oh, that's a really good, yeah, you're right on that. Because they've got the venomous spurs, right? Yes. Okay. So you've got to be careful. We've got venomous mammals. There's another one. Can you think of any other ones? You might need to help me out. I'm only thinking of tree the platypus. Tree shoes are venomous. They eat dormice and they'll go up and bite a dormouse and then it dies and then they eat it all up. They eat, I don't know, like I read once 300 times their body weight a day. Ew. Yeah, the bane to dormice everywhere. But my monkey was not venomous as far as I know, but I noticed something really strange. So here's the thing. I think that we all may have some kind of trait that verges on being venomous. And here's what I mean. When we get stressed, we will produce toxic proteins and if you get stressed enough you can die on the spot of organ failure like kidney failure liver failure heart attack and it's a big problem like if you get stranded animals the the stress will cause them whatever the original problem they had but then it's exacerbated made worse by the stress causing them to have these toxic proteins, which can block the kidney nephrils and cause kidney failure and all this other stuff. So what if venom is simply, cause you know, venom is a protein, right? Right. And it's produced in these special salivary sacs and the snake, at least that's what they were telling us the last time I looked. And what would happen with my monkey is um, Tish was a little three and a half pound capuchin monkey. And she liked to wrestle. And so she put my hand on her head and go like this, like, oh, no, I'm wrestling with Casey's hand. She might like grab my head. And then she would take her mouth and go, ah and put her mouth all over my hands. I go Arr, back and we would go back and forth and that was fun for us. We are simple, okay. But sometimes when we would go out amongst other people, if Tish got stressed, if I touched her saliva, it would cause me to have welts. They would get big and raised and red. And if I went 
and wash my hands or whatever, they would not go away. Wherever her saliva touched my skin. So if she got stressed, she would open her mouth and saliva would drip off of her teeth and fall on my shoulder and neck, for example. And I would get welts there. And if I then went after we got back home and washed them and all that kind of stuff, they did not go away. It took about three days for them to go away. And so that has obviously stuck in my mind through all these years. One of the most important things we can do when working with animals is keep everything calm. Keep the snake, you know, as crazy as it is, you do not have to worry, snake. I'm I'm just here to help you. And then let him go. Um, at my house, we just saw a beautiful little tortoise. And my friend that was here wanted to touch the tortoise. And I said, please don't touch it. Oh, but I want to. I want to connect. No, do not connect. And what I'm going to tell her the next time I see her is, what if she, you know, she wants to have a personal experience with this wild animal? Well, if she was out in public and some guy just wanted to connect with her and just put his hands on her, she would not think that was okay. And we have to think that way with animals. It's not okay for us to go and put our hands on somebody's dog. That's a big problem for people with service dogs. I was about to say, that's a big problem for people with service dogs. Yeah. And it was a huge problem for me with uh, owning an exotic animal. So there's a lot of prejudice about people owning exotic animals. And, right. And a lot of us are just trying to help the animal. So in my particular situation, I was a trainer for a project. And when that project ended, the monkeys were going to go back into a terminal study. Or I could buy the monkey I worked with for a dollar. I didn't want my friend that I had worked with to go into a study on malaria and end up being killed for the research. It's not that I don't think it was a worthwhile study, but I I just whipped that dollar out so fast. And the I rest, can just imagine you're like, here, I'm yeah, taking that monkey. Yeah, here's a 20. You don't have change, that's fine. But for the next, that monkey lived to be 32 years old. I was only 23 years old, I believe. That's when, pretty good, Casey. What do you mean? That that monkey lived with you. Yeah. Wow. It was, I was 22. I was 22 years old. And when I was a kid, I wanted a monkey. And then by... The time I studied, I realized they weren't good pets. And then when I was 22, I'm in this situation. So I bought the monkey. And 
for the next 30 some years, my life was lived around that monkey. And I had to be constantly worried. Like um, if I took her out, let's say every night I would go walking and running and I'd put her on my shoulder and I'd take my German shepherd. And at sometimes I would run with three dogs at once. And sometimes the monkey would ride on the back of a dog and so on. We were just getting our exercise, but people would just walk up. They walk up behind me and try to grab the monkey. I had to actually hire people in certain situations to walk with me, to stay behind me and to the sides, to keep stupid people from just reaching forward. It's like, you don't get to reach forward and touch my monkey. You want to see me get mean? It's like, don't touch this animal. It's just crazy to me that our society has gotten so we we just got to the point that we don't think about animals in a realistic way. And I don't mean to be harsh on people, but it was frustrating because for me, that was my everyday life. Trying yeah, no, I understand how how you feel about this and i'm sure people with service dogs can understand right. yeah you're just trying to get it all done and get exercise for the animals and training and all this stuff and the people are just so mesmerized by animals they want to get closer they want to touch them they want to, but they're not thinking about them like other living beings exactly and and we need to. And I think it used to be like at the turn of the last century, 25% of our population worked directly in agriculture. So I remember my mom's family had a milk cow and they had chickens. And even if you lived in town, you might have those animals or you might have some milking goats or ducks, or something like that. And now, it's much more rare. Right. That people... I don't see a lot of farms anymore. No. No. And it's really a shame, because it has really cost our society. It is so wonderful to live amongst animals. It is. To just have that be part of your social group, and we're missing that all over. We are. We definitely are. So, so people, people, when you see a working dog or you see an exotic animal, just. Or you see a dog in general. Yeah, you see a dog in general. Keep your hands off. Hands you off unless the owner says that you can. Right. And even then. Like I went to a um, went to a great place. It's called Dolphins Plus, or it was when we were there. And they have you can swim with the dolphins. And Dave had never swum with dolphins, but I swam a lot with dolphins, and I loved every minute. But I knew the dolphins, and so we got into the water, 
and the mother dolphins, there were two mother dolphins with their calves. And the mother dolphin didn't want her calf to come over to me. And I just told my friends that were running it, that's okay. You know, I don't blame her. And I'm just thrilled to be here and I can just watch. Right. And they said, wait a minute, let's get Leo. And so they went and talked to Leo and he was a big male dolphin and he came over and I said to Leo, cause I know how smart they are. Leo, I don't mind if you don't want to push me around. Cause you know, in these rides, people want to hold on to the dorsals and get towed around and then they get yeah. on the bottom of their feet. It is such great fun. It's wonderful. It's exhilarating. But I had done that in my life and I didn't want it to be an imposition on the dolphin. Right. If, if the dolphin thought that was great fun, wonderful. But if they didn't think that was great fun and they didn't mind hanging out, that was great too. Leo was just like, hang on, Casey, hold on to your hat. He came around and he put his rostrum under my feet. He just pushed me. That guy was so strong and so wonderful. And when he did all this stuff, he came around to the front. He was just smiling. And I was so in awe of this dolphin. I just told him, thank you so much. I mean, that's his job. And by doing that, he helps to bring in money for all the great research and everything else they're doing there. They're doing a lot of strandings and uh, research on their animals. These guys are so great. They even taught their dolphins to come up and get carbonated water to absorb all the toxins from the red tide. Brilliant. That's interesting. Oh, man, these guys are great. And they also... um taught him to come up and get on a bodyboard and then they put him in a van and take him a couple miles down the road to get their MRIs done to check their lungs. Oh, that's cool. That is, is way too cool. So cool. It is so cool. And the dolphins are like, yeah, we're going to go. I don't think I'm going to get a Slurpee on the way home today, but I'll probably get some charcoal water when I get home. <laughs> I may have said carbonated water. I meant charcoal water. Yeah, you said carbonated water. Yeah, sorry guys, I meant charcoal. Anyway, um, I don't want to be an imposition on an animal. And if you haven't thought about it, guys, just think about when you introduce yourself to an animal, I don't reach out to touch the animal. I sure don't come down on the top of their head. I'll open my hands out and invite them in. It's their choice if they come closer. And for a lot of the things we do, I'll tell the animal what we want to do. And then I'll say, tell me when you're ready. And the animals, their eyes will dart from side to side. They're thinking. They're thinking about what did I just say I was going to do? Are they willing to do this? etc etc and all of a sudden they'll get really quiet they'll get a very soft focus on their eyes they're looking into the middle distance or inward they'll hang their head down just a little bit to the right 
And that is how they tell me that they're ready. And I'll say, thank you. Good, 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 good. Like, let's say I said I was going to uh, examine an ear. Good, 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 ear. Here's the otoscope. Putting the otoscope in your ear. Good, 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 good. We're done. Thank you. That's how it goes. So everything is consensual. It's a good way to be. Yeah, it is. Well, Joseph, as always, it's so much fun to do these together. I think my favorite ones are um, when I have somebody to talk to. And you're one of my favorite people to talk to. So thank you so much. Oh, I thank you. I like being on the podcast. And yeah, and let's it's do so some much more fun. research. Yeah. We gotta tighten up our research because all the things we used to know automatically, if you don't use them all the time, like right off the top of your head, can you recite all the uh, Latin names of all the marine mammals that you work with? All the Latin names? Yeah, I used to know them all for every kind of marine mammal all over the world. Here's what kind of nerd I am. I had flashcards. Oh, there you go. Okay. So what about, do you know what Eumatopia jibata is? Nope. Oh, how about Helicarus gripus? Nope. Terciops truncatus truncatus? Nope. I would say you have a little homework to do. Okay. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you, everybody. You all have a wonderful evening. And thank you so much for sharing part of it with us. Joseph, see you soon. Thank you. See you soon, Casey. Good night. Hey, fans. Are you enjoying training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Cover on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Cover. Also, give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.